Cities produce more than 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Big cities get a lot of attention, but most household emissions in the U.S. actually come from communities outside urban cores, making them critical players in climate mitigation and climate justice. City Climate Corner explores how these small and mid-sized cities are tackling climate change and moving toward an equitable and sustainable future. I'm Abby Finnis. And I'm Larry Kraft. We're co-hosts for City Climate Corner. Hey, Abby. Hey, Larry. So we're going to do something a little different this episode. And it came out of off-mic discussion you and I were having a few weeks ago and said, you know, we should record this. And it's about wellness. Yeah. A lot of things have been happening this summer that I think if you're paying attention and even people who aren't necessarily paying attention to climate are talking about what's going on in the world and the heat waves and not just surface temperature, but also in the ocean where these kinds of things don't happen and Antarctica and all these things that are kind of building up. And, you know, we were just talking about how it affects us. And I mentioned this sort of moment, and I think I've had these moments before where it really sunk in of accepting that these are probably what summers are going to be like for the rest of my life. And there's some kind of acceptance there and acknowledgement, but also the motivation to keep doing what we're doing. We're at a point, obviously a little bit, you know, late in the game, but we're at a point where countries are starting to take climate more seriously. There's more investment and a lot is going to kind of come down to what we do as well. Yeah. So in case you're wondering, we're not going to have a guest this episode. We're just going to chat a bit. And I agree. I would often tell people when I made my career shift about 10 years ago on this area that after I'd been in it for a year or so, I realized that it was like about every month or two that I just had a down day where the scale and scope of things that I understood would just weigh on me. Mm-hmm. And then how do you deal with that, right? Because it makes the issue tough, right? Because as you dig into it more, it can be quite depressing. But I think we're going to talk a little bit about that and also how we deal with it. And I think you know that there are positives as well. The things that are getting me down, the biggest is this idea of having to stay inside when it's nice out. Yeah. The wildfire smoke, the ozone mornings we've had in Minnesota, and just the heat. Yeah. And we've kind of been skating by because we've had heat here and there, but not as bad as a lot of other parts of the country in the world. And we've been in drought, but we've been getting some beneficial rain and it's still been hard. And it's hard to watch other places around the world facing some of these major natural disasters and extreme events and stuff. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that that's happening and take some time for yourself, take some time to talk to people. It's come up in my work before too, where you might feel the weight of all of this and feel depressed and feel helpless or like your work isn't contributing as much as it could or having the impact that you want to see, but it is. And all of these things are adding up and all of the work, all the stories that we're highlighting, all the contributions that cities are making really are adding up and will have an impact. And it's just kind of one of those things, steering a large ship that takes a little bit of time to turn that around. Yeah. I think one of the emotions on the downside that I have is besides Mm -hmm. just the depression and guilt, 
right? right? For my generation, not having done nearly enough, but it's also sometimes anger looking back and when things could have been different, or especially I think at some of the fossil fuel companies where this is coming out that they knew and they made a conscious decision to obstruct, to put out misinformation, to just slow it down. And there's just a sometimes a tremendous amount of anger of how could someone make that decision? How could some group of people make that decision? And are still making those decisions. I think, you know, these things have been affecting me kind of emotionally and, and mentally as well. And then I've also had this cold for a couple of weeks and I'm not 100% sure, you know, it's more like kind of a sinus infection congestion thing. I kind of think it's from the air quality and allergies. And I'm not a doctor, but I think that those things can irritate you enough to the point where your immune system kicks in. Because otherwise, it might have been a basketball camp, but the timing just doesn't quite work out. (laughs) Yeah, there was a weekend there where I was doing some outdoor work in over 100 AQI, not much over, but a little bit over, and then did some things that stress my allergies. And next thing I knew, I've got a cold without too much interaction with other people. And so then I'm like, wait a minute, am I in the sensitive group? (laughs) And so (laughs) maybe I am, or maybe, you know, we're pushing it too much and we don't fully understand the impact of these poor air quality days, even when they maybe seemingly don't feel as bad as when it's up over 200. So there's all kinds of physical and the, the mental aspects of trudging our way through this. Yeah. The mental stuff you bring, sometimes it hits you or the emotion hits you unexpectedly. For me, I remember there was one time when my eldest, Jamie, was graduating from elementary school. And, you know, we went in as proud parents and the kids were doing a song and a a little video presentation of all the kids holding up their dreams for the future. And that's the time that it hit me. Many of the parents were shedding some tears and everything, but when the lights came up, I was uncontrollably bawling, (laughs) just tears streaming out, couldn't keep it in. It was just that moment where it was like, oh, wow, the importance of the work that we're doing kind of hits you. It really does. What do you do to cope? A couple things. One is just to acknowledge that there is grief and anger and guilt, and that's okay, right? That's just going to be something that comes from time to time and to accept that. But then also to do things, to take action, to find the good things that are happening. And there is a ton of great stuff happening. And so for me, it's really in action that keeps me going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one thing I think to get caught up in all that is making us feel bad. (laughs) And if ever you were looking for a reason to get off of Twitter and stop that doom scrolling, now is a good chance (laughs) to do Mm -hmm. that with the new conversion to X or whatever is happening there. And, you know, seek out some positive things. Share this podcast with your friends. Listen to these stories. Do what you can in your community. I think there's a lot of opportunity there to try to channel some of what we're feeling into positive action. Yeah. And I'd say there's action, which we'll talk about here and some of the positive signs that I see that give me hope. But it's also in recognizing that even though there's this thing hanging over us of work that needs to be done and sometimes really bad news on climate, it's still okay. And we should have joy in everyday things. And the optimism I do have that we are going to address this and that some parts of it are just going to suck, but that we can adapt. And so giving yourself permission to have joy. Yeah. Should we 
talk about some of the good things that are happening. Yeah. What gives you hope? Well, I check on kind of climate news every day, whether it's <laughs> the climate impacts or highlights of things that are going on. And I think that one of the big headlines that I've seen recently is that globally, solar and wind are poised to take over coal as the largest source of electricity generation in the next couple of years. And so there's a ton of movement in the renewable energy market. And so that's a really positive sign. Yeah. On top of that one, one of the things that I sometimes hear in political circles um, from folks that don't want to see is rapid action is, well, China is a big emitter and what are they doing? And there's much more that all of us can do, including China. But China is making a massive investment in renewables. More than 50% of its power now comes from renewable sources. And they added more capacity last year in 2022, renewable capacity, than almost the rest of the world combined. So China is a big emitter and has some serious problems, but they are kind of going all in on renewables, which is, you know, we have a competition with them around the industry and the economic side, but the fact that they're doing it is, is positive. Yeah. And here we also, we've been moving on renewables for a decade or more, trying to go big on that. And a lot of our renewable energies are locked up in a line waiting for interconnection to happen on the transmission level. And one of the other things that's happening is that FERC or Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is looking into interconnection reform to try to streamline that a bit more. And so we have so many projects that are in the queue trying to get online, trying to get built. And so this would be a massive entry, I think, for a lot of projects that one, have been in the queue and two, are getting into the queue because a lot of people want to take advantage of those federal incentives over the next 10 years. And so hopefully they can do that and do it in a way that isn't just going to steamroll local communities. And so mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important change that can happen on the federal level. We're taking a quick break to say if you like what you're hearing, please support us via a tax-deductible contribution at the Support Us link on our webpage, cityclimatecorner.com. You can also become a monthly supporter and get a cool gift by going to the Patreon link, which is the P in the social media menu in the top right of that webpage. Thanks. You mentioned the federal level, so... We talked about this on our podcast before, but the federal legislation that we've had over the past couple of years with the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act is tremendous. I mean, the IRA was the fact that our federal government finally made an investment and put a policy in place that's on the scale of the problem is if we hadn't done that, I think I'd have a lot less uh, hope right now. But that is just tremendous. And it's not everything we need, but it puts us in the game and makes it even more important for states and cities to take further action to push the envelope and to go the rest of the way. Yeah. And the IRA hits on incentives across the board. And we are already seeing large investments being made on the manufacturing side, companies moving production facilities over here, requests for more batteries, requests for more EVs, more solar. So we're already starting to see that kind of demand grow due to the IRA and 
and that will only have kind of a snowballing effect as you know it really gets rolling so it's really in the early stages and i think there's a lot to be excited about there and if you are a city you are a tax exempt entity there's a lot of opportunity in this funding for you as well i think if you're not aware of the they call it elective pay direct pay it's a mechanism that allows tax exempt entities to take advantage of the various tax credits that have been available to the private sector and so you have the investment tax credit production tax credits that are available for renewable energy and that's something that folks have been able to take advantage of who have pay taxes and i think that that's a huge 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 opportunity for cities schools churches nonprofits whoever to take advantage of these incentives because it starts out at 30% and can get all the way up to 70% that you can get a rebate for essentially from the federal government and so that's something i think that's really important to look into the irs has its guidance out for its proposed rules and they'll be finalizing that this fall and it will get rolling later this year. And if you haven't had a primer yet on the IRA and impacts on cities, we did a podcast episode several months ago with then staffer, the chief climate and energy staffer for Senator Tina Smith, Pete Wyckoff, and you should give a listen to that. Pete now actually works for the Department of Commerce in Minnesota, and I actually just had coffee with him yesterday talking about things we can do in Minnesota. And He pointed out that the IRA is just about one year old, which is for a legislation of that scope, just getting rolling. So we're just going to start seeing the momentum build around the things that are being incented in the IRA. Yeah. And hats off to all of our state office workers who are going to be managing a lot of these funds as well and helping folks out navigating that because I know they have a lot of work that they're trying to do. So, you know, be patient with your federal and state employees as they try to work all this out as well. And I'll throw in one other, you know, I said the renewable energy tax credits, but there's also electric vehicle tax credits that are available to tax exempt entities as well. So look for those, utilize them. They'll be available through 2033, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other things that Give me hope is actions in states and cities. I mean, the stuff we did, which we talked about in Minnesota, the session. And one of the things that gets me most upset when I hear someone say, oh, well, what can we do in Minnesota? What can we do in St. Louis Park? Or what can I do? What difference can I make as an individual? And that attitude in and of itself means defeat. But each person, each city, each state can have a big impact. And I've seen it when a city does something innovative and then others copy it, right? And which is kind of the focus of this podcast. But this problem requires all of us to be creative and realize that there are people like us in every state, in every country that are doing the same thing. Yeah. I was just out in the lovely state of Maine. Shout out to Isaiah Eagles, our editor who lives there. And heat pumps. You see it everywhere. Signs for heat pumps. There was a whole commercial building dedicated to heat pumps that had solar panels to get your heat pumps. And I learned, you know, that they had a statewide goal to install 100,000 heat pumps by 2025. And they've already surpassed that goal. So they've upped the goal to be 175,000 more, actually, by 2027. And so, uh, you know, Maine is a cold weather state. It relies a lot on heating fuel and 
heat pumps make a lot of economic sense. Even if you're on natural gas, they can compete and they definitely can compete with heating fuel. And so it's really taking off there. And so I think that those kind of transformative energy systems on that kind of individual basis is pretty awesome to see. So well done. It's interesting, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a clean energy academy for state legislators from around the country, and I met someone from Maine. So I learned about some of the heat pump stuff. And I also met, and this was a bipartisan group, so close to equal amounts of Democrats and Republicans. And we also talked with folks in states that don't have a trifecta like Minnesota, or that don't have the same kind of consensus behind climate action like folks in Kentucky and Georgia. And they're not going to be able to do some of the things that we can do in Minnesota, for example, but yet there are things that they're doing and can do. I came away from that with a lot of hope and energy to move forward because I realized that in places like Minnesota or Massachusetts or Connecticut or California or Washington, we have to move faster. We have to be ahead of average of what reductions and things we need to do. Other states will do things because the economics just make sense. So all of us have a role to play. The other thing I want to add that maybe gives me the most hope is more at an individual level of interaction. When I first got involved in climate work about 10 years ago, I put some pitches and stuff together for the nonprofit that uh, I was involved with. And the research showed that climate was a low priority for even strong Democratic voters. It just wasn't on people's radar. And so the challenge then was saying, hey, it's an issue and and getting people to understand that and how to do that. Now, when I go out door knocking, I mean, and folks on the podcast, I run as a climate candidate. And that's when I talk about issues on the door, when people ask me why I'm doing this, I talk about climate change. Still, more and more people are saying climate's an issue unaided by my prompting. But most still don't. Most will say, when I ask what their issues are, maybe it's the economy, maybe reproductive freedom was a significant one I heard recently, inflation. But when I talk about why I'm doing it, the vast majority of the time, people are going, oh yeah, boy, I'm glad you're doing that. We need to take action there. So I feel, and certainly where I live is a more democratic, progressive area, but I think this is everywhere and especially in the younger parts of the population, there's a recognition, even if it's not the top of mind, that we need to do something and we need to take action. And I think just feeling that that's really different gives me a lot of hope because it means that once we start, I do think that over time, at some point, change will happen faster than we thought possible. Yeah. I think that over the course of human history, we've demonstrated a capacity for rapid change and You're right. And I see it too among folks who don't work in the climate space who are talking about things more. And so there's that side. There's all of the great staff who are out there at cities and and companies and different places doing their part and trying to push climate. And then there's political leaders like you who are taking charge and advancing climate-friendly policies that enable other folks to do more and have bigger impact. And so having all of those pieces come together, I think it's exactly what you're saying, is that more rapid acceleration to where we need to be to curb our emissions and try to turn the ship around. Yeah. And I'll say, Abby, when you and I started this, when we first talked about it three years ago, and we've been doing episodes now for two and a half years or so, I wondered like how much content we could find over time. And there's a tremendous amount, which is 
another hopeful thing. There's just great stuff happening in all corners of the country and all around the world, in places, in smaller cities, in towns and counties where you might not thought it might not have thought that it would have been happening. Yep. So I think it's okay to feel bad about climate and to have low days and acknowledge that things aren't where we want them to be on that kind of impact side, but also, you know, recognizing the good things that are happening and the role that we all play and just digging in. Keep digging in. Keep doing it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of City Climate Corner. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe and give us a review. If you're able, become a monthly supporter through Patreon. As always, you can find more information on this topic and resources from each episode's guests on our webpage, cityclimatecorner.com. If you have an idea for the show, send us an email at cityclimatecorner at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. City Climate Corner is produced by Abby Finnis and me, Larry Kraft. Edited by our content coordinator, Isaiah Eagles. Music by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.